Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I would be, I'd be more surprised by Campbell signing for Liverpool than I would be by John Terry setting up a successful Marley's counseling service. It's absolute <laughs> madness. And I know you said at the start there, we're not going to name names, but... I think you're going to have to. Who the fuck said this? This is Tim Sherwood. The Villa Podcast win ratio is second to none. That morning sky gave me a look. So I left while you were sleeping. That's all it took. And Pep Guardiola can't win a Champions League without Lionel Messi or Erling Haaland. <laughs> Poor Pep, it doesn't matter what he does now. It doesn't matter if they steamroll to another four league titles this time in four years. It doesn't matter if they finally win the Champions League. Everybody's just going to laugh and say, you couldn't do it about Haaland. And I could see he was already getting frustrated. He's been asked and asked and asked because you have to remember when he's when he's being spoken to on Sky Sports, he's already done probably three or four more interviews. He still has to go into a press conference. That's where he got particularly agitated. Not, not vocally, really, but he was rubbing his head. He was looking... He was looking like he was a bit upset that they kept focusing on Haaland. I remember this is a boy who did not want Lewandowski at Bayern Munich. So much so that he left. He left <laughs> rather than have to go through the turmoil of playing Robert Lewandowski up front. <laughs> now he has to turn to Erling Haaland. Welcome. Welcome to TVP Thursday. I think that's what I'm going to call it. All name <laughs> suggestions welcome. Probably won't listen. Um, for anybody who isn't aware, we're going to do a bit more of a general football show. On a Thursday, we're going to talk about... Look, I don't need to tell you what a podcast is. It's a football podcast. <laughs> um, we're already over a minute into it, like, so you've already gotten the gist of it anyway. Uh, welcome aboard. You're very welcome. I did put out a tweet yesterday asking people, you know, any questions, send them on. But it was all just villa misery. <laughs> and I was like, I am not... I am, I am taking a break, a blissful break from that on a Thursday. I'm not going into the pits of Steven Gerrard and the rift that might not be or might be in the sales and the not-so-sales and, oh, shit, Villar, this is just football chat. Welcome along, then. 
Thanks. Yeah, uh, we we can save all those anyway for WhatsApp winches next week. I'm sure they'll all probably just come up naturally anyway. Jordan. <laughs> yeah, F has to do the fucking embargoed interviews as well for the for the papers. You know, you can't just be, you can't just be given the news out. He also has to give it out for people who can't publish it for two days. <laughs> and we also don't know if he can win the Champions League with Haaland yet either, Conor, because we don't know we don't know what he's going to do in the semi final yet. You know when he comes up against <laughs> when he comes up against Qatar, he might end up playing Haaland as a as a false right back to try and free up some space for Ederson in the one point five position or something. It is interesting to figure what will he do in that scenario. I don't think he'll drop Haaland for any big game, but is there a scenario where he could end up dropping De Bruyne? <laughs> I know that sounds crazy, but you have to remember all these crazy decisions. Like, would his thinking be De Bruyne is making us play too fast? He's just playing that ball straight into Holland, and we're getting too many quick goals, too too many quick chances. Like our, our attacks are ending too quickly. We need to hold the ball, we need to control the ball. Let's take De Bruyne out, and let's get a few more people to go around the outside and do nothing. Let's sign a few more Villa players. <laughs> yeah, but like he, he is such an egomaniac that he, he could end up dropping Holland. Like he, the City could be winning games one or two 0 and he you can still you can imagine him going into a press conference afterwards and explaining why he didn't pick Holland. Because, because it wasn't working, it wasn't suiting the system. Because he's the fucking manager, he's the person we're praising. Don't forget. Yeah, no, he um, he was very quick. We're talking about him not like wanting to get too bogged down in the greatness of Holland, but uh, he was very quick to point out Jack Grealish's role in the second goal. I went back and looked at it. Jack Grealish was the assister to the assister to the assister. <laughs> and Pep was praising him for the goal because he did sort of what we say he always did at Villa only usually then he followed up and got onto the ball again at Villa this time he just drew a few players to him gave it to his defensive midfielder who then gave it to the Bruyne who then played the killer pass to the only striker in the league who could get in the way he got in there with so much ease and assurance uh, but Pep was um, all over Grealish gave him all the praise and Grealish was then very quick to you know, shut down any sort of... Because like, you have to remember, Grealish was talking a lot after they won the league. In the aftermath of them winning the league, he was talking about how hard it was, how he felt a bit inhibited, he didn't want to make a mistake with the manager. Very, pretty pointedly talking about Pep's influence on his game last year. Um, so Sport Bible put out a tweet, picture of... I don't know where they got this from. It's just two pictures of Grealish being spoken to by Pep Guardiola. And they said... Jack Grealish spotted telling Pep Guardiola where to go three minutes into the game. Uh-huh. <laughs> and our boy Jack got straight back saying, fucking hell, everything you've just wrote did not happen. What a shit, irrelevant page. He was, <laughs> <laughs> he was giving me tactical advice. Ask him yourself I said, and if I said anything back to him. Um, yeah, not one to sit by and let shit be talked about him. Yeah, it's brilliant. and It was the best thing he did in the game or you know, around the game. And, and I wish more people would call out that nonsense from your pals, like laugh at them a bit more and maybe we'd get some sports journalists back. But yeah, I saw it at the time and it's obvious Guardiola says something to Grealish and Grealish clarifies what he means and points over his shoulder while keeping an eye on the game. Yeah. Like Grealish has become far too servile and insecure on the pitch to be given out to his fucking manager, particularly one with Mares and Alvarez on the bench. Like, <laughs> It's Grealish is fucking dreadfully so shit to watch, and that's probably just a whole part of the Man City problem. He's just getting on the ball, and he's square to the pitch as well, so he can go either way, particularly with his acceleration. 
But he just ends up stud rolling the ball down the sideline for about 15 metres and then rolls it back to Cancelo or Gundoya. Like, who who then actually do something interesting with the ball themselves? Like, Pep Guardiola, regardless of how robotic his teams are, he's not telling Grealish to go out and do fuck all. Yeah. But whatever he's telling him isn't being understood by Grealish. And I can see Grealish being turned down a lot by Cancelo as well, who seems to have as much freedom as De Bruyne to do something decent with the ball. And why the fuck are Grealish and Foden not saying, why the fuck is he allowed to do that? Yeah, Let us do it. The heat map is always interesting of Grealish standing out in the touchline and Cancelo standing at the edge of the box. Like, it's not... <laughs> I, I'm not just sore about it because Cancelo keeps picking up handy fantasy football bonus points. I know <laughs> we'll, we'll get into that later, don't worry. But um, <laughs> but it is, it's just, it's just, it's complete deference that the greatest is young since he's been there for a year we've spoken about this loads as well but like it is the the thing is like he continues to reference how he's afraid to lose the ball how he want he doesn't want to give the ball away he never did like he rarely did when he was beating men and taking men on and, and drawing men towards him like what he was doing wasn't risky because of the skill he had sometimes he lost it but it was like the reward so much outweighed the risk it wasn't like every so often this will come off it came off most of the time and like we talked about on the weekend's podcast with Buendia, when when you lose the ball in that situation, all the other team are doing is scrambling it away. And anyway, don't worry about it. The team are trapped inside. Like, if Cancelo is allowed to shoot every time he gets the ball from 25 yards out, <laughs> Greenish is allowed to take a couple of touches and look forward, square up, you know, instead of just rolling it back. You're not there for that. Like, anybody could do that. But, yeah, I suppose you don't look as good doing it as he does. Yeah, it seems to be working out all right for them, though, doesn't it? Yeah. All right, let's play a game of it's a new game for the Villa podcast. It's called What's Worse or What's Better. I give you two options and we just go through them. Um first one, what's worse? United mad after an outage or Villa being linked to Ross fucking Berkeley? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you want to laugh at United, don't you? But like, you know, and then I see Ross Berkeley popping up in my timeline and I'm looking to laugh at whoever's linked to him. And then the <laughs> fucking fear when when I click onto the story. Yeah, like, but imagine imagine if the Arnautovic link wasn't leaked and they just announced it like we did with Ings. I mean, Jesus Christ, who was running this football club? They needed to fucking give a gigsy till end the season, lad, to tell him not to sign Marco Arnautovic. <laughs> like, I I assume Darren Fletcher is loaded, but he's still playing and making his fucking real life decisions based on FIFA eighteen. Marco Arnautovic, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. And and you think, yeah, that has to be the winner, that has to be the worst one. But if Barkley, if the Barkley to Villa rumours are anything other than just your pals in the media not understanding football, just knowing that Ross Barkley played for England and know that he played for Villa, or at least was on the books at Villa, like if there's any truth in the rumours beyond your pals in the media putting two to two together <laughs> and coming up with Amadozi Cunt, then Gerard and Langa and all the lads should never work again in any profession. Like, are we going to swoop in for Charles and Zogby and Ross McCormack as well? <laughs> I, I, I think Scott Hogan hit double figures last year. Maybe he's the fucking answer. And we could put da- Danny Ings to work and demolishing the North Stand. That's all he can seem to hit is the fucking North Stand with the football. <laughs> Hang on, did Scott Hogan actually hit double figures? I think he got 11 goals last year. Fucking hell. We could be talking about him in the Ireland category, yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's interesting, the Ross Barkley. It's not interesting at all. It's just terrifying. But um, 
I saw some Celtic fans discussing the possibility of Ross Barkley going up to the SBL, and most of them just completely batting it away. He is not what we need. He is our version of Arn Ramsey to Rangers last year. He would be completely overpriced. He hasn't played football enough. He's, he's big time Charlie. Like, you know, he's big, powerful. Everyone calls him a big, powerful person. The definition of power is speed and strength. Now, I can't remember the last time Barkley really showed any bit of speed, apart from the first two Villa games where he did look a bit enthusiastic. But outside that, he never, he never really tried a leg. Like, it, surely speed at some stage has to go over the five-yard mark. Maybe he is powerful over three yards. <laughs> <laughs> the the Anoutovic thing is funny, though, because um, Gabby Agbonlahor was saying that United should <laughs> sign him. He said he's better than Jaden Sancho. <laughs> I was thinking, you know, number one, that's that's, that's a big reach. Number two, uh, are you forgetting somebody else there, Gabby? Are you forgetting another striker that they have up top? Um, <laughs> and it probably begs the question because everybody's been having it. Like, sh- should they have just played Ronaldo the last day against Brighton? Because I get that he wasn't there in training, and there was part of me thinking, if he's not going to be training, you can't you can't just play him because obviously they've got a manager now who wants to coach the team, but also. They've had a manager coaching the team, playing preseason friendlies with a striker up front, and now they've they've gone to a scenario where the striker got injured and they and they put in a false nine instead rather than just putting in a striker. Would that not have been better? And like, also a good striker. This is the really fucking annoying thing. I just listened to absolute eggs telling me all week all oh, they, they they couldn't just bring Ronaldo and now they've been working on a system. You know they they can't just change that to bring in Ronaldo because he can't work in that system. Oh, but Christian Eriksen is the direct replacement for Martial, is he? What the fuck are you talking about? And are you telling me that Ten Hag, who I have said on the podcast, is a real manager? I'm starting to fucking question it now. If his fans think that he was working on one system for fucking four weeks? (laughs) Jesus Christ. And as well, the other thing, and we've said this before, as if he couldn't possibly devise some sort of a game plan where Ronaldo could occupy the two centre halves and limit the amount of running that he has to do so he can still have that explosive energy in and around the box. It's madness. Like a real football manager can do that. Let's not forget that the last three managers that have had Ronaldo, it was Pirlo's first job. Fucking Ole Gunnar Solskjaer isn't a football manager and Ralph Ranić is a field consultant. (laughs) It is because you have to understand nobody, nobody's suggesting that like you know maybe maybe Ronaldo's not the best presser, and we all understand that pressing or covering ground anyway or covering spaces it is important in the game. But if Atletico Madrid can make not not only get away with but make Luis Suarez look fucking fantastic, then United can definitely do it with with a better striker and and they can figure out a way of of covering the spaces the way Atletico Madrid like to cover the spaces as well. It's a, it's just a, a flaw in the thinking that they're like, yes, they're seeing Ronaldo's not good at that, but he, he is good at all other things. And I'm not trying to go down the Rio Ferdinand route saying he scored goals. Like I, I think the way United tried to play last year, we're without the ball. He wasn't good for them, but like they weren't, as you say, they didn't figure out a way of fitting them into that system. It would be the same as going out and putting them left back and then complaining about him not being good from left back. <laughs> alright what's worse what's better Newcastle fans booing Jesse Lingard or Martin Braithwaite being booed by Barcelona fans for not being paid his wages <laughs> <laughs> what a scumbag eh? booing Lingard because he's a twat are they? 
Yeah, I, I, I thought it was that initially, and I was sort of thinking, yeah, fair play to them. I can get on board with that, but it turns out to think they're a bit upset that he didn't choose Newcastle and went to Nottingham Forest instead. They should be fucking delighted. They should be cheering him from the rafters. <laughs> the, the, the amount of Barca fans replying to those tweets about the astronomical salaries that was doing the rounds, you know, saying stuff like, that's gross, actually. He's only getting nine million net. Like, you're right. It is fucking gross. But what do you think the original tweet was showing? Like, do you think this is a conversation about the luxury lives of professional footballers? For, for a start, look at the list of players. Half of them stopped being footballers the second Barcelona gave them a six-year, thirty million per year contract. You're missing the fucking point here. We know that citizens get taxed on their income. Barcelona are paying the gross. That's the fucking problem. The problem is that Barcelona started handing out the most generous pension packages of all fucking time. The problem is that Barcelona started handing people's salaries at least twice what anybody else would have paid. Like, you only have to go 10 grand more. Like, you're Barcelona. Find out what Chelsea or Man United have offered, then offer them 10 grand less, and you should be all right. Why is Andreas Christensen getting 9 million quid a year? Why is he playing for Barcelona? Is probably the first question. Like, <laughs> Has Merlin Pjanic played for Barcelona? He's no. definitely fucking played them. He's getting a million quid a month. <laughs> He's been on loan the whole time. Yeah, being brave, it's probably worse. <laughs> it, 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 like I think we're talking about the social media commentary as well. There are a lot of people who are trying to make out the Braithwaite as a scumbag in this scenario. Like you know, like like he been the unreasonable one. It's just like why can't they just leave? He's been paid enough up until now. <laughs> like, been paid enough by maybe a normal club standards, yes, but like not by his contract, not by his club, <laughs> and also on the side, his club are trying to buy Bernardo Silva for eighty million. He knows there's money there. He knows they're trying to spend money, and he knows that he's owed money. So why would he not just ask for his money that he was promised? <laughs> like it's 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 bizarre. You have to go through this stuff. What's better, Jesse Marsh potentially calling He Chan a diving cunt. <laughs> or Antonio Conte making a pile of great signings and uh, just not playing any of them <laughs> <laughs> because he doesn't need to. Why would he? Like he was just just getting a tune out of his old players instead. The the Jesse Marsh thing. I don't know. Well, most people probably saw it. His uh, altercation with Bruno Lage after the after the Wolves match and like pretty heated the two of them. Like uh, the Wolves manager seemed fairly upset afterwards, and then it turns out he was upset about something in the first half and. Um, Jesse Marsh didn't take the time from the first half to the end of the game to apologise so when he got to the end of the match Bruno was just not having any of it Marsh did not like it um, and yeah the clip has gone out since of just right in front of Jesse Marsh he chan with one of the worst dives that I've seen like he just he, he turns around the player is oh, there, there's about four player widths in between the two of them um, of, of daylight and he just falls holding his face because he knows the ball's about to roll out of play. And uh, Jesse Marsh is right there, like right, right he's closer to him than, than his Leeds player is. And he, he's, he's very animated, and they must have said something then. That's the theory that he, well, the theory isn't that he called him a diving cunt, but the theory is that he said something. Yeah, and if that is what happened, if he did call him a diving cunt, then I take everything back I said about Jesse Marsh because <laughs> <laughs> he's got my respect now. And if Bruno Lager was upset with Jesse Marsh for calling a diving cunt a diving cunt, then I really regret praising him last year. Yeah. Remember the start of the year, we're feeling sorry for him with all the one nil defeats they had in games. They should have been winning three or four nil. I mean, one of those kept Solskjaer in a job for an extra couple of weeks, so 
will always be thankful for that. <laughs> but you can't be protecting your players after they've cheated. Because like we've said a thousand times in this podcast, not only is it morally bankrupt, it's fucking idiotic. VAR isn't perfect, but nobody is getting sent off anymore because they have arms. Like that, That's essentially what happened. That's what Lee Chan was looking for. Madness. Can't they get in a performance out of his players after they signed some good players? Is exactly what you want and would expect to happen as well. Like that's why, that's why rather than this nonsense of signing squad players, you should wait. You should wait and sign players for your first eleven because hopefully you'll end up with two players in that position. Then, yeah. if the player responds like a professional, like it's not difficult to understand why John McGinn might have stagnated, is it? Like Morgan Sanson's not exactly knocking down the door, is he? Like a fucking wind chime blowing up against the front door. It's no threat <laughs> to the door, and it's really fucking annoying. <laughs> Yeah, no, that, that Spurs operation, that's only one game in, but we sort of knew it from, well, from how they ended the season, from, <laughs> it's one of the the rare things that, that has aged well since last Thursday when we had so much optimism ahead of the Aston Villa season. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about Spurs and, and how they're going to get on this year, like, it wasn't that hard to predict. Like, they finished so well last season. They've got a good manager. They signed really well. And, and how you get a squad so strong that they haven't even introduced their, their new signings yet. It's... um. Yeah, it's looking really good. I so I've got I've got Braithwaite being booed by Barcelona fans ahead of Lingard being booed. Like the Newcastle thing is just a bit of crack. Um I've got United looking for an Artovich and then pulling out of an Artovich because fans didn't like it. <laughs> ahead of ahead of Villa, maybe, according to some third tier uh articles that they that they're after Ross Barkley. I assume that's bullshit. And I think I just have to, as much as I like the Jesse Marsh calling he Chan a, a diving cunt, I think I just have to go for Conte because it's it's clear already that they're going to be they're going to be a big force this season. It's your podcast, Conan. You can do that. <laughs> All right, we'll take a break. We'll come back with some awards. Good evening. I wanted to speak directly to our supporters to confirm the transfer of our captain, Jack Greedlish. And now we've been gutted, organ donors for the rich, Boston's taken our kidneys, Yankees have taken our heart. And to explain the background to this move. It's an unfair game. We offered Jack a new contract to stay at the club. Like this is business as usual, it's not. We agreed to incorporate a so-called release clause into his contract. Billy, that's trouble. Billy, if I may, uh, he certainly has had his problems off the field. Jack finally decided that he would like to go to City. We're trying to solve a problem here, Billy. Not like this, you're not. You're not even looking at the problem. We have planned accordingly. We've got to think differently. It was never our intention to replace Jack with one footballer. Guys, we're still trying to replace Gianni. I told you we can't do it. Can't do it. Our strategy was to analyze and break down Jack's key attributes. Now, what we might be able to do is recreate him. Create him in the aggregate. The what? A what? His creativity, his assists, his goals. That's what we're looking for. And to find these qualities and others in three forward players three ball players three ball players and in doing so have also reduced an over dependency on one brilliant footballer add that up and you get emiliano buendia leon bailey and danny ings 
they truly are the future. If we try to play like the Yankees in here, we will lose to the Yankees out there. I don't know what that means. All right, some general football awards. Uh, you probably know by now that this is a general football podcast. <laughs> so the first one, the Conan Doherty, I'm getting Delf at the back of my shirt. Worst Twitter <laughs> shout of the week. That tweet is still up there. Remember those six days? Well, was oh. it was six, five or six days that he said he's staying at Aston Villa. And I proclaimed my love for him. Said I'm getting getting his name at the back of my jersey, and then of course he was gone. I remember it well. I remember it well because you know, as much as I was upset, I couldn't I couldn't really live in my own annoyance because I knew it was so much worse for you because you had made an absolute teddy yourself in public. Oh, <laughs> uh, and it's all it's so sad, and you think back because that was the holy trinity. It was Delph, it was Benteki, it was Grealish, and now look at them. <laughs> I look at them all. I, I thought. Uh, I was watching Crystal Palace game the other day thinking, she's for some reason I thought Benteke was starting. And I was like, I haven't even noticed that poor fucker. And I looked <laughs> and he's playing in the MLS. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's what he's at. So I'm not going to name any names uh, for this, but you can always feel free to send me on any suggestions for the worst Twitter shout of the week. Um, and actually, there's no point naming names because you can be sure that at least a thousand people probably share the same opinion. Um, so such is the the modern world, like such is the modern world that there is now a culture war about fantasy football. Right. <laughs> I know what you're thinking. What could it be? What could it be? Is it about like having a first eleven or having a full fifteen squad? Is it about you know who the best eight million midfielder is? No, no. It's about data scientists against grass football guys. It's- boys, boys, you can see things with their eyes. Is there a third person on this call? <laughs> anyway, the Colin Doherty, I'm getting Delph at the back of my shirt. Worst Twitter shirt of the week. <laughs> Colin Doherty trying to talk about fantasy football with me. <laughs> no, no. Uh, Todd Cantwell to Liverpool. <laughs> this is a thing. No, it's a very small, small thing. And in fairness to Liverpool fans, most of them reply saying what the fuck are you talking about but this has been an ongoing thing from the start of the summer not even from remember the start of last season when people used to pretend that Todd Cantwell was good I don't know why that happened um <laughs> remember people used to say he should be a replacement for Grealish what a fucking insult that was to Grealish but I you know, fuck him anyway uh Cantwell, Cantwell has gotten weaker and weaker and now he's finally got a bit of game time now again in the championship he's playing in the Norwich midfield and he's not doing much. You know, he's, he's going to... Does he have a nice touch? Can you say that? He's light on his feet. In every way, he's light on his feet and that he can just get knocked over. <laughs> quickly as well. and, uh, and they're talking about him for Liverpool. Liverpool have just signed Carvalho, who's definitely better on him. They have Harvey Elliott, who's definitely better on him. They have Curtis Jones in storage, who's definitely better on him. Oxley Chamberlain's injured. Like, these are players who don't play in the team currently. And we're talking about Todd Kentwell. Yeah, I mean, talk about a bad fit. Like, you might as well ask John McGinn to try to pull on a pair of skinny jeans over that arse. <laughs> I would be, I'd be more surprised by Campbell signing for Liverpool than I would be by John Terry setting up a successful Marley's counselling service. It's absolute <laughs> madness. And I know you said at the start there, we're not going to name names, but I, I think you're going to have to. Who the fuck said this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, well, we'll name names for this next one because it's Rio Ferdinand. Uh, <laughs> big names always coined. United should have been in for Welbeck. 
you know, we're laughing there to see you looking for an Artovich. I mean, I mean, he was closer. He was closer with that than Rio Ferdinand was of Welbeck. Uh, Danny Welbeck, who's you know, who showed a few nice touches against United, but also everyone came away thinking, "Geez, if Brighton had a striker." <laughs> if Brian had a striker, they'd be a force. They'd somebody put the ball in the back of the net. That wasn't Danny Welbeck. I mean, this is this is what they're looking. Are they looking for a hold-up player in the form of Danny Welbeck? Because they could definitely, they could definitely just go back into the John Carew market. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Carew Ferdinand also said Ole Gunnar Solskjaer should be given a lifetime contract worth whatever he wanted because of his tactical master plan of whispering into Fresnel Kimbepe's ear. I believe you can fly, and. <laughs> Although, given how much self-respect Ole has subsequently proven to have with his exit interview, maybe Rio, maybe Rio was just saying to Ole, "Put whatever you want on that contract." Maybe that was just a cost-cutting exercise, <laughs> trying to save United. <laughs> but the fact that Danny Welbeck bossed the Man United back four doesn't mean Man United should be in for Danny Welbeck. It means we should be in for a new back four. Leo Ferdinand saying Man United should be in for Danny Welbeck. It's not really even a footballing story, is it? It's not a transfer story. It's a fucking... It's an ethics and broadcasting story. (laughs) Rio's clearly lost it. Whatever little he had. And we probably shouldn't... We probably shouldn't let him keep going out there. But it's fucking gripping. And the numbers are class. (laughs) Can you imagine the esteem Rio Ferdinand would be held in? He still sort mostly is, but you know, if he just if he just went away, like put a Paul Scholes, <laughs> Paul had he just went away as well, and we just remembered him as those you know peerless players. Like you know, they they looked, they didn't look like they had any imperfections as players, and like you know, now it's just tarnished left, right, and center. It's basically Rio who's just popping up on every podcast that he can. <laughs> Anyway, we'll carry on with this podcast. <laughs> Me trying to get snotty about podcasts. Um, what's the winner? That's definitely Cantwell to Liverpool, though. I, I could actually see Welbeck at United before we could see Cantwell at Liverpool. Yeah, well, given the rumours recently, it's definitely more believable. <laughs> yeah, let's not rule it out. Uh, the Sam Allardyce, we are tactics them award. <laughs> David Moyes has just figured out what Man City are doing. <laughs> <laughs> David Moyes. I mean, this guy is an ostrich. I mean, I don't want to sound like you know Nigel Pearson or anything, but I don't know what he's been watching for the last while because he's he's definitely not been watching Man City. Um, so he came out after the West Ham game. He said they changed from last year. We played them a few months ago. Gave them a better game tactically. They changed Walker and Cancelo, either side of Rodri. <laughs> They played with no fullbacks. We found it hard to cope. Uh, they had to control the middle. <laughs> found it difficult when they got it wide. Today, tactically, they were much better. We hadn't prepared for that because <laughs> we hadn't really seen it. What <laughs> was really difficult tactically to deal with. Um, yeah, we, we don't even need to do a crash course for anybody else, but like I'm sure all the other managers are well aware that Man City like to push. Pep Guardiola, for the last decade and a bit, likes to push his fullbacks into midfield to create more numbers in midfield and he likes them to get more central and he likes his wide players to push wider. We just talked about Grealish sacrificing himself for Cancelo, but um, David David didn't see it coming. Fucking, that, that is really surprising because 
as Patrice Evra will tell you live on Sky Sports main event, there's no fucking flies on David Moyes. I mean, if, if Wilfred Zaha or anyone else for that matter comes up in an inch of Moyes' daughter, he'll find out. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe, maybe as Patrice Evra would tell you, Moyes is such a controlling chauvinistic sociopath. He just doesn't have time to watch a team that plays 60 fucking games a season. <laughs> Nine to 12, he's setting up his own really functional West Ham team. Three to five on a Saturday, he's going to that game. And then the rest of the time, he's just sitting outside his daughter's bedroom. Like the, stri- the stri- actual strangest thing about this is, and I don't need Patrice ever to tell me this, West Ham definitely have an opposition scout. What the fuck have they been doing? <laughs> like, well, honest to God, what have they, have they been going to Man City games? Like, this is insane stuff to yeah. not have noticed this. It's man, the Cancelo's the most talked about player in the country, probably. <laughs> Honestly, it's, it's David. I'm trying to figure out. I can't remember the last game where he said that they played better. Um, when when he's obviously they were prepared for whatever Man City were doing. Like they were doing they, this. This is what they were doing. But that's what I mean. So I don't need to remember that game to know that Cancelo wasn't going on the overlap around the left hand side of Grealish. Like that that wasn't happening. He was never even in a position to do that. He was always just coming from twenty meters in field. Like it, it, it isn't even come. It doesn't even start out wide. So I don't know what he thought he saw because he didn't see what he thought he saw. <laughs> Congratulations, David Morris, the first winner of the Sam Allardyce We Out Tactics Him Award. The cheekiest spin of the week by my pals in the media. <laughs> I think there's only one winner here. It's the uh, it's the Jurgen Klopp interview. He's like, not not the interview. It's the <laughs> it was the narrative that came out afterwards. All the stories, all the hours dedicated on radio shows on TV stations, all the column inches with ink all over it, all about Jurgen Klopp complaining about the dry pitch at Craven Cottage. Um, you know, this story ca- carried so much weight and had so much legs that even the even the Fulham account were tweeting out, um, sort of tro- trying to troll Liverpool then about a picture of the, the grass being wet or whatever. Like, I'll, I'll, give you, I'll give you a little flavour of what Jurgen Klopp said. I mean, I mean this was... <laughs> Jurgen Klopp has complained about things before and obviously when things haven't been going well, especially during that season with injuries, he was moaning a lot more than he was. Um, this was one of the most humble interviews I've ever, I've ever heard, especially for such a... It is a bad result, it's only the first game of the season, but you know you know the pressure that they're under to keep getting results from Man City are about. This is one of the classiest, most humble interviews that I can recall. And you know, Klopp came out and he said the best thing about that game was the result that we got a point from a really bad game from my side. The attitude just wasn't right. And then, this is where it came from. It's, it's completely lost context. Now, he, he just buried us in the middle. And then, throughout the interview, he really developed the context of what he was talking about. He said, we tried to fight back, but once you're like that, it's not easy. He said, the pitch was dry. We played really into their hands. We found a bit of direction, crossbar, and all those things. <laughs> <laughs> Did you hear what I said in there? The pitch was dry. Um, he, he carried on. He said the result was fine. I don't think we deserved any more than that, but the performance was massively improvable. And then, and then I think this is where the pitch is dry thing came in. Did like where he, what he really meant was we didn't find any direction. We passed the ball around the outside against their four four two. We didn't break any lines. The message before the game was go out, take risk. We didn't do that. And every time they won a challenge, it was a real positive moment for them. And then, and then he said, 
when you start the way we did, so I think this was the context. This was a four and a half minute interview. I think this is what he meant by the pitch was dry. Not not, not that he can't just say that anyway. <laughs> it's hard to get the momentum back and we played the wrong football to get that momentum back. Yeah. We played at their feet. We lost balls where they wanted us to lose balls. So it really, I think it really fed into the lethargy in their performance and the slowness in their performance. He's talking about going around the outside. He's talking about playing into their hands. He's talking about players not breaking the lines. And he's talking about them starting sluggishly. Mm. And every time he clarified it by saying, we did not deserve any more. He actually said, we, we probably got the bigger chances in the end and we could have won it, but like we, we definitely wouldn't have deserved it. He was even pushed about the referee. And he didn't get into it about the foul and stuff like that. He he overruled that and just said, "Don't don't really remember it." And again, we didn't we didn't deserve anything more. One of the most humble interviews that your cop has ever done. But all the stories this week, I, I listened to Talk Sport. Jim White comes on. <laughs> Graham Sooners is on for his debut. What a show this is! And, uh, <laughs> Jim White's like, no, Graham, I'm not going to do it. But he says, Jurgen Klopp's complaining about a dry pitch. Are you having that? And then, then Graeme Sooners is like, no, I'm not having that. This is over a day later. And then they're away on talking about it for another segment for 15 minutes. Genius stuff. Yeah, well, your pals are a fucking disgrace. And it's it's at pinnacle <laughs> level on talk sport. I, I know it's tough to write or say something interesting, but these lads are looking for a story instead of telling the story in an interesting way. They're just fucking lying. Yeah. That, that'd be like coming out after Stephen Gerrard interview if the headline Stephen Gerrard says something worthwhile. <laughs> Aston Villa manager articulates original thought in post-game interview. You'd have to wonder as well. Maybe maybe they weren't lying. Did they understand what he was actually saying there from a, from a psychological point of view, a footballing point of view? And this is the other thing for any aspiring journalist out there. You have two jobs. Report the interview. If it's good, you know, people would be interested in reading it, and that definitely would be. Put a bit of colour around it, maybe. And then maybe read it yourself as well, because this is one of the best managers one of the best thinkers in the game like has he said anything there that might be worth exploring like even even anything that might be applicable to plebs like us and everyone else reading it like we've all played games when you when you turn up and you just can't get into it we were talking about it on sunday for fuck's sake off there you just feel letting go now in your position as a journalist talk to a sports psychologist a nutritionist do a five minute video talk about high performance link it back to our level do something else don't just fucking pick Amid three words in the middle of a sentence, like that is absolutely insane stuff. The funny thing is, but sorry, no, but the, the other thing is, if somebody else has so somebody has done that and then everybody else has just regurgitated, they weren't even they're so uninterested in football, even though it's their fucking profession, they didn't bother watching Jurgen Klopp's interview, they just regurgitated a headline. <laughs> and this is it, like the, the really hilarious thing is that it was actually a really brilliant interview. <laughs> it, was, it was one of his best interviews. It was it was so insightful. It really got into how Liverpool play and how they want to play and what they're supposed to do and, and good habits that you're supposed to develop and how you move teams around. Like It was such a fascinating interview, especially for just four and a half minutes. And uh, it, it sort of, I suppose, it just speaks to a lot of the outlets now at the minute and uh, just just trying to like the talk sport like the talk sport thing would have known like this is coming out on a monday then but that stage <laughs> the backlash has already happened to people talking about Klopp talking about the pitch being dry you know so there's enough information out there now to suggest that maybe that's overblown a bit and they're just deliberately ignoring it like they're 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 sort of living in ignorance sort of happily like that's what they want to do but um 
yeah, it's it, it's just it's it's crazy that out of all the interviews as well, like this this was the one because there was so much gold in that interview. They had to just mm. listen to the rest of it. Yeah, they could have they could have they could have taken a fucking full week worth of writing out of that as well. You know, talk about psychology, talk about behavior, talk about it, talk about how to play, talk about Liverpool. Jurgen Klopp explains how to open up team. Like you know, they could have done anything. Lazy mm. cunts. Like it was there for them, but they're so fucking lazy they couldn't even take it. Talk about why the media don't want to report it. They just want to report the three words, like you said. <laughs> All right, last one. Questions we can't answer, but you want us to anyway. <laughs> Although I think this is one we can't answer. Um, this came in on Instagram from Phil. <laughs> Straight to the point. No, no, I love the podcast. None of that from Phil. <laughs> <laughs> I should have just added another. Love the podcast, lads. Keep it up. <laughs> Love that you're going twice a week. Uh, settle an argument. <laughs> Always a great start to a message. Settle an argument. Full stop. Should you be allowed to score from outside the box and five aside? Uh, of course you should. Like Scoring from outside the box is a skill. Defending when the opposition has to get into your box to score isn't. Like any five yeah. aside, any five aside team that concedes more than five goals in an hour when the opposition have to get in to a semi-circle with a radius of what is it six meters <laughs> like needs to seriously think about whether or not they're playing the right sport for their fucking skill set the, the only thing i will say it's it's probably a more inclusive game whenever you have to score inside the box because you know some people like Bubakar Kamara and Danny Ings are afraid of the ball. So if you can't spank it that regularly from outside the box, that's good. They can join in then as well. And I, I used to be for it as well for, for one reason only. It, it stops shitbags from shooting from positions they can't score from. But those lads are fucking playing Hollywood passes anyway that they can't complete to people who couldn't control it if the pass got there. Just don't play shitbags like your man Jim from a few weeks ago. That's my advice. <laughs> I think this is where somebody had actually sent us a tweet asking they wanted a follow-up from Jim. Jim, if you are listening, Jim sent an email about, what was it about the game? About the weakest player in the 5 aside side who, who started organising the game and now he didn't know how to get rid of them because this person was organising it. And I think some of our suggestions was along the lines that Jim might have been the shit one. Is that what it was? Maybe that's why he is either not decided to write back or to stop listening to the podcast altogether. But, yeah, um, it wasn't a suggestion. We just figured it out. <laughs> but if you are listening, Jim, we would love a follow up. Um, yeah, like the, I think it's pretty clear cut. Like the, you should be able to score from outside. It's sometimes I, I don't even think it does help. Like sometimes it helps if you're a player down, which is the worst thing that could, that could ever happen in a five, six, seven side game. The other team being a player down it just upsets it. Like and um, but even then, it's not like just just let them play a fly keeper. Uh, I, I don't I don't mind I don't really get it I don't mind the rule of not being allowed to score from your own half but like why, why I don't really get that that should only be the case if you are playing flight keepers which I don't know why you would be like, get a life if you are and <laughs> <laughs> just suck it up and get into nets and get out when you can see the goal don't let the, don't let the ball in <laughs> they're the rules of life but they all like I, I think any anything that allows people to be lazy is and just get back to drag your arse back into their box you know, in their own time because you know the other team can't and they can also just not do anything while they're passing around outside. It's just pointless. Like that that's just not a game of football. Yeah, exactly. The the only rule should be the keeper has to stay inside the box, maybe. That's it. Like any other rules is just it's just fluff. Just yeah. play a game of five aside, lads. Let the boys play. Let <laughs> the boys play. Last very quick one. All you have to do is choose one. Came from Steven on Twitter. 
which is less painful? Watching A, a Gerard press conference, B, <laughs> Douglas Louise standing over a set piece, or C, Jeff Henrik in an Ireland shirt? <laughs> which is less painful? Jesus yeah, Christ. which is le- that's a very kind way of putting it. <laughs> which is which is more painful? Let's go for. Oh fucking hell! It's, it's, it's see, it's just all pain. It's it's hard to it's hard to disaggregate them. Probably Stephen Gerrard interview is the freshest and the rawest one at the minute. I mean, there was a couple of times where Luca Dini was whipping in corners the the last day, so it seems like we might we might have learned our lesson there. I haven't had to watch Jeff Henrik in at least two months. Is it? I mean, that's coming <laughs> up next month as well. So now that's just. <laughs> That's just got my anxiety going now. I'll be, I'll be, I'll be thinking about this all the way through to September now. So thanks for that question. Steve. <laughs> uh, but Stephen Gerrard's interviews are are the most painful thing in my life at the moment, yeah. without a question. For God's sake, like the, the international break was the one thing keeping us going through this Aston Villa season. But uh, <laughs> now it's just been ruined. Thanks a million for listening. We'll be back on Saturday for a post match Everton game. Yeah, I'm thinking about it now and I'm getting upset anyway look thanks for listening general football fans <laughs> we'll be back next Thursday as well with another TVP Thursday I don't know we might need to work on that name cheers see you later Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.